Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about uh, the power of how, and really the significance, the impact of how you frame your faith. That if you change the framework of your faith, it changes everything about how you see and experience your faith. Mm -hmm. And uh, we think that I think I'm going to pitch this to you, John, and we'll see as we go. (laughs) I think that there's a flawed framework that is a very American typical, at least in my experience in my life. And it might be one of the reasons why so many people are deconstructing their faith and bailing out. And so we're going to talk about this. It's going to be a shorter episode. As you can tell, my voice is a little bit still rough from my COVID journey, but um, we thought this was important to do and, and, I hope John, I've at least caught your interest with this conversation. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's great. I think it's when you are, you know, when it comes to things of God, I guess where you start from is so important. So like we've talked about before, kind of a humanist standpoint could be, well, how could God do these things to me? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of starting from a certain point, getting to a certain point. Right. And so I love, I know I, I'm already on board with how important the conversation is, but I'm eager to. I have, I have some questions for you, and I think it'll be good. Awesome. Before that, yeah, before that, it is uh, store your joke time, and you are up this week. It's been a long time since we've had just like a normal episode. Yeah, it really two. has. And, and what are we at? Episode 107, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. So welcome to episode 107. We're glad you're here. We are grateful uh, for your listening. So my story, I've got a story, not a joke. And my story is about my wedding anniversary. Oh, uh, which one? This one. Sue and I just celebrated... Uh, 37 years. That still blows my mind. 37 years. Very long time. That's uh, a long time. That's a, I feel like I'm barely 37 years old. <laughs> um, and so uh, we went away to Arizona for our anniversary. I rented a house. Sue said, all I want for my anniversary is I want to sit beside a pool, my own pool, not a hotel pool. And I want to read and relax. And so uh, we did that. It would also double up where we could see our new granddaughter, Taylor. So uh, we go down there, and after the first day, first day was awesome, and then we got sick. Mm. And uh, Sue tested positive for COVID while we were there. I tested positive after I got home. She flew home after she recovered. This extended our stay. And uh, I rented a car one way and drove home because I was quarantined from her COVID. I did not test positive until I got home. So... Uh, the point of this whole story though, is our anniversary, our actual anniversary, May 4th. And, uh, it quite comical to me because this seems to be kind of, uh, indicative of who we are maybe as a married couple. I, I'm, <laughs> um, so we were very sick. We didn't feel good, but it's right. our anniversary. We gotta, we gotta eat. Well, and you're very, it, might, it cracks me up because your very first, um, your honeymoon was a kind oh, of a mess. That, you're right. We probably set the pace right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a whole different story. But um, so this anniversary, our 37th, celebrating 37 years of life together, we drove to Whataburger. 
Nice. Yeah. So that was our anniversary <laughs> dinner, and then we followed that up. Well, you that's you and Hog Heaven. That's not a sacrifice on your end. Well, it was actually, you know, one of a few delicious options, and uh, <laughs> she chose it. And so what's interesting, and, and after Whataburger, we went to, um, I'm trying to remember the name of this place. It was Buck's. I think it was called Buck's. Like a ice cream place, or it was a it was a shaved ice place. Okay, and holy cow, it was so good. That's funny. You <clears> don't I got. You hear a lot about shaved ice. No, and uh, man, it was so good. I got uh, pina colada with cream. Ooh, man, it was so stinking good. Anyway, so that's kind of funny because uh, last the year before in 2020, we didn't do anything because of COVID. In 2019, our anniversary dinner on our anniversary was at mm-hmm. Jumbo Burrito. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, over on uh, Whidbey Island. Yeah. And um, it just cracks me up that we go to such classy joints on our, you know, to celebrate the year of our marriage. So I know. It makes me feel better that mom chose Whataburger this time. Yeah. Because uh, well, we couldn't go sit anywhere. Right. And so we had to drive through. So And then what you want to do is you think, well, let's just drive through and bring something to sit by the pool where we're staying. But we instead ate in the parking lot at Waterbury <laughs> in the shade. And then we drove over to, uh, I wish I could remember the name of this place, um, Bucks. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up because I did text it to your brother because he lives there. And he had never mm-hmm. heard of it. And I, said, I told him, you, you got to go. You're turning into the local guide before he is. You know, I know. That's what to I couldn't to? believe. How could he not know this place? Yeah, you know where to get your haircut. You know where to get your shaved ice. Oh yeah, Carl's. Get your haircut at Carl's. Ah, there it is. I got it. So the place is called Bahama Bucks, John. Okay. Bahama Bucks, and there's a couple of them in Phoenix. We found a couple of them. Best shaved ice in the history of the world. I mean, great the, name. Oh, it's a great name, and the and the customer service was incredible. So if you're ever in Phoenix, Mesa, um. I think Scottsdale has one. Um, you got to go to Bahama Bucks. It's Bahama incredible. Bucks. Bahama Bucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that, I've taken note. I'm excited. Next time I'm in Phoenix, which hopefully will be soon, see my niece. That would be um, But uh, let's let's get going on this. this the framework's idea, uh, framework of your faith, a starting point that is important. Uh, kind of lay out to me, what are the different starting points that you – Think yeah. people people start at well. I think you know. I was realizing. Um, I was talking to your mom about this while we were sitting down having a lunch. Um, that I realized that my you know that I'm that over the last several months, I have found whole new levels of joy mm-hmm. uh, in my faith. That my faith is becoming joy driven, full of joy. Um, way more life-giving to me. And it's because of a pivot in some of the core convictions about the framework of my faith. So uh, framework number one is, you know, God's really mad. That that at, at the core, God is an angry God. He's very frustrated, very upset, sure. um, very disappointed in us as human beings, that he is um, ready to pour out his wrath. And so mm-hmm. uh, that being a Christian is a very serious thing and that 
forgiveness, this is the big one for me, that forgiveness is good as long as you don't ever need it again. <laughs> and uh, sure. that he's great. He's happy to forgive you, but you better not need his forgiveness anymore. Like it's time to start uh, performing well. And yeah. so if you don't perform well, then you're, you're really in trouble because uh, you're going to wear out his forgiveness if you keep needing it. And so there's this pressure. I had said to Sue, and Sue doesn't have this kind of uh, framework. I've said to her many times over the 37 years of our marriage that the Christian life is harder than the non-Christian life. Interesting. And, and what I mean by that is that when I wasn't a Christian, I didn't have any idea that I was alienating God and that I was, you know, in trouble. Uh, now sure. there's parts, obviously, you know, having my sin forgiven and all that is, is amazing, but I lived under this pressure to earn God's favor. That's mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. So he's an angry God. You got to earn his favor. Sinners suck and they should be judged and hated. And we say, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. But that really right. comes out like hate the sinner too. In a practical, in a practical sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think this, this kind of framework for faith is, is, uh, you know, the whole, the whole Jonathan Edwards revival, um, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. This is a classic, famous sermon about um, God's wrath and that we are by nature objects of his wrath. This, you know, triggered supposedly a great revival. So I think since then, that's kind of been the framework of faith is um, God's good. You suck. He hates you. He's mad at you. And he poured out his wrath on Jesus so that he wouldn't pour it out on you. But now get your act together, straighten up, fly right. Don't need his forgiveness anymore. And if, by the way, you still need his forgiveness, then you're probably not even saved. Right. So uh, framework number two, and this is and, the – go ahead. And that one, the one you listed is, is very popular, like you said, probably because of that revival. But um, even in really much more palatable kind of rhetoric about it, you know, like in, in most churches, most churches are not fire and brimstone churches. Yeah, but the the culture about it or the understanding about it is still similar to to what you were to what mm-hmm. you just laid mm-hmm. out. Yeah, and there's a lot of transition to this second model, and so there's some danger to the second model. So we'll talk about that because I think it does scare some people who are whose entire framework has been that first one, for sure. But the second model is that God is good, that He is full of love, and that our in, that that the enemy is not humans; it's the devil. That human beings were seduced, they were deceived, they were lied to. Um, you will not die, you will become like God. So they were lied to, they bought the lie, and now sin is carried through the bloodstream and, and we are born in sin. And that sin then should not be viewed as a rebellion to be punished and crushed, so much yeah. as it should be viewed as a disease that needs to be cured. And the only cure is Jesus. God's love, He's a loving King. Um, and that all human beings, all of us, are co-strugglers. There's not good people and bad people. There's not—we're um, all broken and flawed, and so we're we all need, sick in, in this model. That's right. We're all, we're all infected. Mm-hmm. And so we need recovery. We need His grace. And so then that, that uh, when Jesus forgave you, He factored in your stupidity, and He factored in that you are just dirt— and he's in it for the long game. He loves you. He's walking with you. When you fall, he's there to pick you back up. 
He doesn't celebrate your sin. He still he still hates sin. He, he hates sin because of what it does to you um, and what it does to others. Um, but he's for you and he's in you and he's empowering you and he's transforming you. And it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Yeah. That's kind of the, the second model. So um, you've talked about this before. I don't know if it's on on record, but I've heard you recently uh, talk about you know um, sin as a disease, and that kind of that kind of language, as opposed to um, like a uh, like a violent kind of punitive kind of offense. Right. 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 So uh, for me, when I hear it, I think I I go uh, my mind does two things. At first, I go. I really like that. And then I go, well, that's probably too good to be true. It's that kind of thing, right? It's like my brain my brain is like, well, don't let yourself off the hook too fast. You know, that yes, kind of thing. Because we really like shame and guilt and it makes and we and we know we deserve it. I mean we know that we're yeah. we know that we suck. Um so you know, you don't have to convince people that they're not good. Um but for some reason we feel compelled to. Um and so, so so that comforts us, our self loathing. Well, you said uh, you said there's some dangers with the second model. Do you want to walk through those? Yeah, but I want to th- I want to say the reason I think we're drawn to that first model mm-hmm. is because we have control. Um, it still hmm. is performance based, and at the end of the day, we prefer a performance based scenario because we think that's logical. And then the control is in my part to to um, please God to you know it's up to me, and so I have For, control. Yeah, for me. I would love the second model, but I, because of my kind of, um, I don't know, maybe like some kind of guilt or shame complex. I don't want, I don't want to be deceived, um, thinking everything's good with God when it's not, I guess is kind of my thing. Out of the fear of that is what holds me back and kind of away from the second model and into just jumping into it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because it sounds like, um, your future sin doesn't matter either. Exactly. Your sin never mattered and your future sin doesn't matter because God loves you no matter what you do. And so it feels um, illegitimate. And and when you think that way, one of two things hasn't happened. You either haven't recognized the, the depth of your own depravity or you haven't recognized the depth of God's love. Because mm-hmm. when you recognize hopefully both of those, you are inspired to live for the one who has offered you this great undeserved love. This one who has poured out upon you his mercy, even though you repeatedly don't deserve it. It actually um, inspires you to repent and to walk closely with him and to please him. And, uh, but, but the, but the pressure's off because I'm not trying to please him. So he won't hate me anymore. Mm. I'm pleasing him because of his great love for me. Yeah. And, um, so I think the reason the second one scares people is because it seems soft on sin. Right, right. And um, and when we talk about, because we've talked recently a lot about kind of the rejection of the um, altar call, sinner's prayer, ticket to heaven kind of thing. And it seems like the second one actually fits in with that that kind of model pretty well, right? Well, tell me more what you mean. I'm, I'm not sure I understand. So, so in the second one, if it's... Um, you know, sin is a disease to be cured and God understood all of this when he forgave you the first time and, and he loves you the whole time that 
that to me could be could slide into a party on bro kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I said the prayer, Jesus forgave me once and forever. You know, might it doesn't matter quite what my conduct is. Yeah, that's alarming. Mm-hmm. I I totally understand that concern, and that's alarming. And all I can say about that is the person who thinks that way or makes that choice um, is missing either the awareness of his own depravity or the extravagance of God's love. I don't sure. I don't think that you can be forgiven. It's the parable of the guy who's forgiven a grotesque multi million dollar debt, right? Right. And he and he grabs a guy by the throat who he who who owes him a hundred bucks. Um, that's what that is, and so you don't recognize the uh, debt that has been forgiven. Yeah, and I wonder if um, if really the implications of the effect of that kind of gospel shouldn't really be a factor to us, anyways. That if you believe it's true and it's gospel, then you should preach it and it's their business if they if they skew it that way it should it, is it that is it that kind of callous it sounds callous when i say it like that well i think that the the what's hard is to understand both the extravagance of god's grace and the call that he gives us to himself and to holiness yeah and so it feels like you want to make us choose right um and and it's the thing we talked about in the past that two things are true at the same time i am I am not living up to the call of Jesus on my life, and his love for me is extravagant. Mm-hmm. Those are not mutually exclusive realities. And that may be the big shift for me in my faith, is recognizing that that is not a mutually exclusive problem. Sure. But the, the uh, you know, we'll the, thing, for it, yeah. well, the thing that I think is scary about this is that, and I and I am concerned about this, is that we live in an age of what is being called in literature um, the therapeutic model of worldview. Mm-hmm. And that therapeutic model is that, that, um, it, that uh, truth is discovered inside myself and that, my, and that really what the human journey is all about is to go deep inside yourself and discover who you are or go deep inside yourself and choose who you are. And no, and we we talked about this in the identity episode as well. We did. The therapeutic model, yeah. Yeah. And that that really me is the center point of it all. And um once I discover who I am and which is the center of the universe, and once I discover who I want to be, then the world must comply with this self actualization of my person. And anyone who opposes me and calls me um, false or illegitimate is a violent oppressor. Right. And so um, we have brought this into the church, where now the gospel is you, 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 you're so amazing that Jesus died for you, you, you. And we sing Mm. a lot of worship songs like this, where I'm in a habit now where I count how many times in a worship song. We use the words I, me, mine, or we, and how many times we use the words Jesus, God, him, or his. And it's not, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not exaggerating to say that in today's worship music, it's not uncommon for the I's and me's to outnumber the he's and his. Sure, sure. And so uh, basically our, uh, the modern worship song is me, 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 I love God, what you did for me, me, me. 
<laughs> sure. And that's a dangerous place to be because, uh, yes, sin is a disease. Yes, God is love. Yes, God is pursuing us to lavish his love upon us and to redeem us back to, back to himself. And he is the king, the sovereign king of the universe. All things were created by him, for him, and through him. And your job and my job is to submit to the sovereign leadership of King Jesus, to give our lives away, to die to ourselves and become slaves of Christ, and Mm -hmm. to lose me, to die to me. So um, to me, the the weird um, thing going on is this realization that all of us are victims of sin and at times joyful participants in sin, um, and that God came to deliver us. His love is great for us. And that love calls us to die to ourselves and live as slaves of Jesus for the glory of God, which is also an expression of his grace because for this you were made. Human flourishing occurs most in full submission to lordship of Jesus. Totally. I, uh, I've got a lot of questions on this, uh, mostly, um, with like biblical examples and, and, uh, um, some things that give me pause again from jumping feet first into the, into this second model. Uh, before that, let's do our, uh, uh, show and tell or, uh, or book review and, uh, and then our commercial break. How's that sound? That sounds good. I want to make one more point before we do. Oh yeah. Go for it. The, the me therapeutic agency part of the world, uh, way of thinking. Oh, this is the danger of the model. Yes. Well, it, it's not the danger of the model. It's the danger of the world in which this model has come. Gotcha. Um, we are so me-centered and so therapeutically centered that it's killing community. It's killing long-term relationships. Marriages are suffering. We're seeing a flurry now of what they call uh, gray divorce. Couples hmm. who've been married like Sue and I, 35, 37 years, um, given up on their marriages because they've gone in this therapeutic approach of finding themselves and they realize they want something totally different for their lives. And because they want it, they're entitled to it. There was, I was reading about this author. He, uh, he got divorced at the age of 86, man. Why? That's crazy to me. I don't know. I don't know. I guess they really, really couldn't stand each other. (laughs) And so, consequently, I think also the church is not prepared to suffer for his name. Mm. So we are so consumeristic and so self-centered that uh, we're, we're not prepared to suffer for the cause of Christ. Right. And, and I because believe, we're so unused to that kind of environment or hardship. Yeah. Like, is that even legitimate that God, this God of love, would ask us to suffer on his behalf? Right. And so, so there's a lot of tension here. And... I can see why this second model scares people who have a very serious view of morality and sin and the kingdom of God. But it's the good news. It's the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. And man, it has set me free to be, I I mean, literally, John, multiple times a day, I just tell God how I cannot believe how gracious he is to me. Mm. I am so grateful for who he is. And my life is fully his. So he has won me with his kindness. That's awesome. And it has changed my life. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Let's do, uh, let's do the media review. John, what do you got for us? 
Uh, this one actually kind of reminds me of uh, the show and tells we used to do because visually, I love this thing as well. But this is a book. Uh, I bought this on my honeymoon. Talk kind of honeymoons and anniversaries and stuff. <laughs> uh, and I bought it from a, a used bookstore in Juneau, Alaska. We mm. went on a cruise, and that was one of the I think one of the last. Well, no, it was in the middle, but one of the stops that you make. Um, and uh, Juneau was awesome. I love, love, love that town. All the other towns, I was like, this is fun. But I, I was blown away by Juneau. And it doesn't hurt that before then, you're going through the f- the fjords. And oh, like yeah. The, so you know, the glaciers and stuff. It's nuts. Uh, but this is a copy of Beowulf. Oh. And uh, I read it in high school. It's it's not as impressive as it sounds if you haven't read Beowulf. It's kind of, it's a short. It's the oldest uh, recorded English literature. And English, I put in The quotes. oldest recorded yeah, because it's it's old English. It's if you were to read it in its original form, you wouldn't get every you know every fifth word or something like that, or you wouldn't get anything but every fifth word. Um, but it is the the um, in what would become English. It is the first thing that we have wow. written in that language. Uh, this, but this is a translation from Ian Serrelier or Serrelier. It's S E R R A I L L I E R from. Uh, Man, well, I'll show you right now the the cover of this thing. But it oh, that is cool freaking freaking awesome! Yeah, you got to take a picture of that and put it on the Instagram. I will. It's, I'm really proud of it. I I can't believe it. when I saw it, I was like, okay, well, that's a no brainer, uh, just because of the looks of it. But what I didn't know was how much I would love it. Uh, the because again, there's a very famous translation from uh, J.R. Tolkien because he was a, a scholar uh, linguist. So he has he has like made the definitive modern English translation of Beowulf. Oh. Uh, this one is a lot more, they took more um, liberties with the prose, Ian Sorelier. Uh, he, uh, whereas Tolkien was very uh, scholarly, and this guy was too, but he maybe would have changed things for the sake of flow or of tone. or uh, So it is beautifully written. It is so fun. The whole thing is an epic poem. I should have given more context on Beowulf, I, I, I guess. Uh, it's an epic poem about a, a Viking who goes to help a village. It's pretty simple. It comes in three acts. Uh, and I love it. I'll post this picture on Instagram, and uh, if you're interested in reading the story, obviously I can't say anything bad about Tolkien, but this this version is very, very um, uh, lyrical. It's very fun to read. I just had a big smile on my face most of the time reading this thing. That's amazing. I got, I got flack from you for reading on my honeymoon, because Lindsay posted about it on Instagram <laughs> or something like that. But I, don't, I, I won't apologize. I had a great time. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, here's our commercial. We'll be right back. Awesome. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. Uh, so part two, uh, I have some more some questions about the this uh, this new model. You want me to dive right in? Yeah, let's do it. 
Okay, so uh, most of my, again, aside from gut reaction going, well, don't let yourself off too easy, you know, wagging, wagging my finger at right. myself. Uh, a lot of it was from the um, the tone of of God in Scripture, or things that he does that seem punitive. So when we're talking about what sin is, and is it meant to be punished or cured, there seems to be a lot of punishment. Yes. So, like, I think of even just one uh, recently, there's... In my head, there's more examples. This is the only one I can I can quote. So I'll stick to this one. But um, in the in First Samuel, uh, Eli the priest, or he was a judge, I think, I, or both. He was probably. a priest, yeah. Okay, and uh, uh, he's of the priestly line, so his sons are also priests, and they are turds. That's the biblical word. That's what they say in the book. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they're you know they're sleeping with the the maidens at the shrine, and they're doing they're awful. They're a mess. And so uh, God, through Samuel, tells Eli that because of his son's sin and because he didn't do anything to stop his son's sin, and Eli's very old at this point, um, that uh, he'll die peacefully and he'll be fine. But all of his sons will suffer young deaths and his line will be uh, forfeited of the, the priestly duties. And uh, earlier he had promised the, this thing to, to the line, to the clan that Eli's in, the, the tribe or the, I don't know what you'd call it. And so this, is, this seemed punitive. This seemed, they did this wrong, and so I, I'm I'm correcting this by way of killing your sons. So right? let's let's take a character at a time. So the sons who are living um, this crazy debaucherous life as right. priests, and yeah, not only that, like in the temple of God, like oh very, yeah, very, they're they're a mess. They are seducing yeah. women who come to worship God. They are jacking up uh, offering prices so that they can have wealth. They are a mess, and they are. Um, profiting from and getting sex out of people's genuine pursuit of worshiping God. Yeah. And they are punished for their own sin. They, they, they receive in themselves the due penalty of sin. I got no struggle there. I don't know if you do. I, I, I don't have any struggle there. Well, it's, it's punishment. Like you said, they're punished for their sin. So are you and I, you know, we, we suffer disease, anxiety, despair. Um, our lives are shortened. Sin destroys. So if you hear me say that um, sin is a disease from which there is no consequence or no personal responsibility, then you didn't hear me right. Sure, sure. Um, And so um, while we are infected with this disease of sin, we are also held responsible for how we navigate that disease. And so Eli is punished because he's the high priest. And he is not disciplining his sons, and he's allowing them to defame and to destroy and dishonor the name of God mm-hmm. and on his watch. He's tolerating it. The least he could have done was disqualify them from priesthood and banish them from their role. Sure. But because he did not do that, he suffers the outcome of the responsibility he had. So... Um, there is still responsibility, there is accountability, and there are consequences. God's so, but, love doesn't remove those. Right. Uh, so then the other thing is just the um, existence of the noun that is the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. The it, It's almost like its own kind of force of nature. It, 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 it is referenced uh, often. So... Even uh, all the way clear at the end times, the final outpouring of the wrath of God. Uh, what is the wrath for if it if it's a disease? Is, is the wrath for sin itself? Is it for the 
um, deception of the, the enemy? Well, what is the wrath for? Well, you see Satan who's kicked out of heaven with a third of the angels for his rebellion against God. Yeah. And then we, after Adam's and Eve's sin, we are by nature, that is sin flows in our veins, and we are by nature objects deserving of God's wrath. Mm. So we deserve his wrath. And um, uh, I have said this weird saying, I don't know if this will help you help you with this question or not. I have said that God could crap on my head every day for the rest of my life. And he has still been better to me than I deserve. Sure. So the, the, there is no one, no one who can say God was unfair to me. Right. That they were dealt a, an unfair hand. Yeah. Or God judged me more harshly than he deserves to. Mm. Uh, you got no, you got no case. Um, and then the other thing, and, but I am struggling with this, you know, as I look at the Old Testament pictures and some of the language there, and that language right. was written by authors who are describing it the way they saw it. But what helps me is Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. In former days, God spoke to us in various means and in various ways through the prophets. But now he has spoken to us through his son, who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of of his nature. Mm. So when I understand the most I can understand about God, I understand it through the person of Jesus because he is the radiance of the glory of God and he is the exact representation of God's nature. Totally. So I watch how Jesus interacts with sinners. I watch how he interacts with uh, saints. I watch how he interacts with all human beings. I watch how he interacts with the devil and with evil. And this is where I gain my primary understanding of God's nature. And then the, um, because most of these examples, like we've said of the, the wrath of God or the more violent punitive examples, our old Testament, is that just by merit of, um, a, of basically the law of, of kind of a less perfect relationship with man before the, before him coming in human form or. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and again, for me to speak, and try to explain the the wisdom of God. Sure. It's an intimidating task. But I wonder if there are not epics to God's story and um, acts in the play, if you will, and the unfolding of his divine plan. Um, in, in For example, in Hebrews, it talks about that the law was a um, like a nanny. The law was given to us to care give for us until the coming of Jesus. Sure. So it had a part to play. It was it was uh, for a time and for that part of the story of God's history, of the history of man. So I think it's not simple. And I think I can see where people think it's contradictory. But for me, I lean really hard into Jesus being the clarifying picture of right. what is, of what what is true or when you have a scruple that's where you go to 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 resolve a, if i can a see question. the answer in jesus then that's the answer gotcha and um it's not surprising because even when jesus came the experts of the old testament did not see it mm-hmm. so even jesus fulfillment of the old testament he had to explain to them 
even Paul, as he goes to the road of Damascus, you know, Paul is killing Christians because they are a deviation from the Old Testament. Hmm. And Jesus has to explain to him um, how to get from the Old Testament law to the redemptive suffering, suffering King Jesus and how the Messiah must suffer and die. Paul had no idea that was going to happen. Well, and obviously a lot of it is the the spirit, but they use that, you know, Jesus walking with the uh, um, men after his resurrection before he meets up with the um, oh man disciples again. He he basically, um, I don't know, you could call it argues. He but he explains is what he explains to them why that happened, and then throughout uh, Acts in the early church, they that was a common evangelizing tactic to yeah. to just explain what how how it checks out yeah um, with their old beliefs yeah so it's not simple but man our god is a good good god i think john for me the big point of today's episode from my side Mm -hmm. is that i was living a frustrating christian life and i was finding myself um, responding to people who struggle with habitual sin, maybe uh, sin I don't struggle with. And I was struggling to um, to truly, redemptively love and grace them rather than be disappointed. Sure. Because I think that, because that's how I thought God behaved as well. And when I realized how God's how the whole story is the expression of love's God's love and that love's deep pursuit of redemption of all things at great personal cost. And that when God thinks about human beings, his overwhelming thought is love, not hate, not disappointment, mm-hmm. not wrath. It really changed the, my appreciation for who God is and who he has been in my life. And it has empowered me to offer that same redemptive, unconditional love to people, no matter what their sin battle is. That's awesome. I think that that sounds like a takeaway for you. Is that it is. And, and joy, I'm just having, you know, I'm having more joy. I think, um, you know, over my 37 years of marriage, Sue has said multiple times, um, like in, in years 10 through 25, um, you should see a counselor. I think you're angry. You got a lot of anger. I think you're angry. Hmm. I would never have guessed that. Well, me either. Um, but I think what she was touching on was this underlying bad news. Mm. It's bad news to be a sinner. It's bad news to be objects of wrath. It's bad news to need God's forgiveness yet one more time. It's bad news that you underperform. The bar is high. Expectations are high, and we are a disappointment. I think my faith was just so saturated with that kind of thing that it was sucking joy completely out of my life. And I fear that my children may have grown up discipled in a faith that inherently had that environment. You know, it's like uh, like one fish saying to the other, what do you think of this water? And the other fish goes, what's water? Right. Because you're just in it. And I, and I wonder, with me having this, and, and lots of believers having this, this water of spiritual environment around us, how much damage has it done to us? It's hard to say, you know, I think that's, that's the whole point of something like a counselor is cause you can't really, so stuff like that's hard to self-diagnose. But. 
do you feel yourself? Do you do you battle? Is guilt a common struggle for you? Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's t- it's um, when I uh, I've one of my struggles is thinking like I've talked about it before. If you want to, um, if you wanted to like get strong, I, generally people could tell you how to do that. What to do every day, day by day, to get strong. And when when I think what what do I do to like please God? Hmm. There's not um, there is like proaction that you can take via taking care of like the quartet of the vulnerable or you know things like that. But when we claim to practice a faith that's not works based, what do you do? So I feel <laughs> you know I feel like I have a lot in debt and I have no real way to proactively make up the debt. So it's hard to let it go. It's hard to just say like, well, I never will anyways. So, And one of the ways I would describe what you just said is you don't have a scorecard to keep score. Yeah, I guess so. And I don't know why score is so important to us, but it is. And so you can't rest because you don't know the score. You can't rest that you're actually winning. Right. (laughs) It's Well, and because early, I feel like before, you know, before – eight months ago or something like that, I didn't have as many problems until I, until I realized, you know, kind of this whole salvation question we've been struggling with for a long time or that I've been struggling with for a long time is when I realized, well, if the sinner's prayer isn't the line, where does the, where's the buck stop? You know, where, where is the, where is salvation? And since then it's been, then I started thinking about scorecards because earlier I feel like I had a much more simple and probably less, uh, accurate view of how the relationship worked, but I was kind of fat, dumb, and happy about it. And now I'm now I'm concerned about the scorecard scorecards. I don't know where the buck stops. That, so that, I feel like that's kind of my thing. So your salvation question about the sinner's prayer is that like going to the altar to get married? I know I'm married because we had a wedding. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And if it's not the wedding, then what is it? Yeah. You know. So, and that's still you know what we talked about our New Year resolutions. One of those is to get an answer a satisfying answer for myself for this question before the end of the year. So I don't, I don't know if we're going to solve it in the next clock's ticking eight minutes. I know we're almost halfway there. It's kind of <laughs> snuck up on me a little bit. Well, do you have a takeaway from today's conversation? Yeah, I think it's that I'm undervaluing the, um, like when, when he said to that Jesus is the, the full revelation of, of God, or maybe not the full revelation of God, but, but, the uh give me the wording again the, the exact true. representation of his nature there you go thank you exact and full have different connotations full mm-hmm. would be to see him as he as he is the way yeah. john the revelator saw him yeah um but to understand because i have a lot of even with jesus's language oftentimes it feels to me like the whole our our substantiation theory of righteousness kind of thing jesus never really says that he never says that my blood covers your sin word for word because that just wasn't his way he doesn't, you know, he didn't say it very much that clearly, but when you look at his actions, what else could that mean? Right. So, and, and like even the, the, uh, uh, John one, one, you know, just like the, um, that's pretty cut and dry in the words of John, not as much in the words of Jesus. So, but I think I undervalue really, I look too hard for those words for my own personal satisfaction and not hard enough at what it really means, what he did actions wise. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I and I think too about the wedding day thing, kind of analogy. I don't think Jesus is looking for a wedding. I think he's looking for a relationship. 
And so mm. there are married people who don't have a relationship, and there are people who are not married who do. And I sure. think that um, what Jesus is wanting is, John, are we in relationship with each other? Do you love me? Do you love mm-hmm. me? This is what he asked Peter after the, Peter, the great yeah. fall. Do you love me? Well, Lord, you know I do. I, I'm not. I, I'm flawed. I have a flawed ability to love, but I do love you. And uh, that's that's what he wants to know. If you mm-hmm. do not eat my flesh, drink my blood, you have no part of me. You're not in relationship with me. So there's nothing about a sinner's prayer there. Jesus never led someone in a sinner's prayer. The apostles never led someone in a sinner's prayer. Right. And yet people were coming to faith. They were having, they were entering into the kingdom by relationship with Jesus. Yeah. I don't, I don't think sinner's prayers should be avoided. I think yeah, they, I would, have, I I think they have an thing. exaggerated uh, emphasis. Yeah. That the, then it's like fallacy, a ticket. I got my ticket. Exactly. That's yeah. the fallacy. Yeah. It, and that talk about cheapening the whole thing. That oh, cheapens man. it. It's a transactional the, relationship. I said right. a, I said the secret words and you gave me a ticket. And the power the potential power there of there's you know, that Jesus is is there loving me the whole time. Like that that the truth is there in that second model we've been talking about. And but man, the danger is way higher. Yeah. 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 I hope I I love this conversation. I, I hope I want you to. I don't want you to think that I was just like uh, scowling through this whole thing because I got a lot out of it. I just I'm still I still have so many questions. Well, and we'll we'll keep the conversation going. I did most of the yeah. talking, which I try to avoid doing, so I apologize for that. No, but I love hey, uh, Yeah, um, we want to say to all you listeners, thanks for listening. We're glad to be back. I'll have my voice back next time. Um, Man, we're grateful for you. Email us at info at jimandjohn.com. There's no H in the John. You can visit our website, jimandjohn.com. We're on Instagram. What else, yeah, John? At, uh, Instagram at Jim and John. Yep. And you can go and, to the bio uh, there, and you can click on the link tree, and you can get to everything. Everything, yeah. You can read our uh, – that's probably the easiest way for you to read our blog from your phone. If you got a, a boring lunch break or a 15 minutes in the car or something like that, hop on there. we got some good stuff. And, yep. uh, yeah, we're just very grateful for you guys. Sorry it's been a, a tumultuous couple of weeks, but uh, we're more or less back to normal. And uh, we'll keep the keep the party going. All right. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. See you guys. 